When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock Podcast with your usual co-hosts, me, Russell Guyver, him, Peter Marsh. Hello, Peter. Hey, Russ. And we have with us Scott. Actually, I didn't catch your set. Is it Scott McCarthy? Okay, it is, right? yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I My remember seeing him. <laughs> uh, it's Scott from We Are Brighton, which many people will know from social media and from other outlets on the Tinter web. Um, welcome to the show for your debut, Scott. Thank, Thank you, you for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. It's great to get you on. Obviously, you've been in the public eye a little bit, um, in particular this week. Um, I'm oh, sorry, in the last couple of weeks, due to the um, to your part in the um, the discussion on ticketing um, for uh, or reallocation of ticketing for home games. And uh, we'll probably get into that in a little bit more detail later. Um, but first of all, tell us about your. Should we start with your Albion supporting history before the We Are Brighton stuff? How did you come to be an Albion fan? Where are you from? What was your first games? That sort of stuff. Um, I didn't really have much choice in it, to be honest. I was taken to the Goldstone when I was about two years old by my parents. So that would have been 1990, 1989, I think it was my first game. Um, yeah, and just sort of been stuck going ever since, really. Started going to away games when I was about seven on the Costa Love bus with my parents. And uh, <laughs> yeah, done Gillingham, done with Dean onto the Amex, it's just sort of snowballed from there. And if I supported anyone else, I think my parents would have disowned me. I mean, you could argue it's a form of child abuse, couldn't you? You've been stuck watching Brian for so many years. It's definitely cruelty, that's for sure. There's no doubt about that. Or it has been, anyway, for our generations, um, definitely. Maybe maybe the new lot, um, they don't know how easy they've got it, but... Yeah, we've we've been through uh, we've been through all sorts of traumas, haven't we? Anyone watching for the eighties, nineties, that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember sort of going to, I mean, because my mum was on the committee of the supporters club when it was all kicking off with Archer and Blot, and I remember, you know, just going to Rochdale, going to Mellor for protest. Um, she broke her ankle at one point and was kiting around this crutch, which she didn't actually need, in the hope that she could smack Blotty with it in a away game. But he obviously. <laughs> Always seem to escape that fate, which is probably just as well because probably would have ended up with a prison sentence for her, wouldn't it? Which would have been very good. 
Wouldn't it be great? Yeah, it sounds quite a daunting figure, actually. Yeah, the whole thing about it wouldn't be worth your uh, your life living if you weren't an Albion fan, and then yeah, going I feel around like I branching. Say now that she's a she's a great mother. <laughs> she <laughs> made her out to be some sort of monster. We're only, we're only two minutes in as well, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. That's all good. Good to hear. And you mentioned Melissa. You were actually one of the guys who went on the protest. Um, or not by the the march, the demonstration. I don't know what you've called it really, but that that little visit to uh, Mella in what was it, Lancashire, isn't it, or Yorkshire? Yeah, it was, no, we Boston. played Wigan away, and I think we we must well we must have lost last week to a very good battle. And yeah, then, so then that happened. And there was also, I remember a protest we went to, we played Rochdale on a Wednesday night or a Tuesday night. And that yeah. was um, quite close to where the Focus DIY HQ was. So the, the Cost of Love bus stopped off on the way to uh, deliver, you know, letters or a petition or something. Obviously, Bill Archer wasn't there. or He might have been there, probably just hiding. Yeah, it was oh, all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. And then uh, that was the Rochdale game, actually, where... Lottie went to and he famously got smuggled out of the stadium in the uh, the kit bag sort of 10 years before Jose Mourinho made it a, a famous thing to do. I love it, it's great. Happy times in a funny sort of way, obviously very tragic times in another, um, but there's plenty of stories to be told from those days, isn't there? And I'm glad to hear you've um, you've been part of it, indelibly linked with the Albion from a good age there. Are you are you from Brighton itself, by the way, or are you from further afield? Um, Burgess Hill, which I guess isn't that oh, yeah. further afield. <laughs> Only slightly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's all right, that's good, yeah. Sussex born and bred and that sort of thing. Yeah, I've been in Sussex all my life, apart from when I went to uni, I did three years in Cheltenham. Yeah. But other than that, just, yeah, Sussex. You only come out of the county for away games, that's all I mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, holidays, holidays. dangerous, isn't it, otherwise? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's brilliant. That's great. And so, as you said, 89, 90, around that sort of time when you started getting into it. Um, in terms of sort of like highlights, lowlights, famous happy days, you know, the famous memories, um, or, or happy memories, I should say, um, what, 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 are the big, what are the big ones for you? I think there's probably two. Um, when we won the Division Three title in 2001 was was quite big because obviously throughout my entire life, Brighton had just been absolutely rubbish. I'd only ever known relegations and what have you. So for them all of a sudden to be, you know, seeing Brighton lift silverware was, was quite a shock to the system, really. And I guess that sort of in, informed sort of my outlook on watching Brighton because I'm naturally quite negative and always expecting the worst to happen which is in stark contrast to you know the current Amex generation who have no reason to feel like that because it's only ever been good while they've been watching and I think yeah uh, my favorite season was without a doubt the league one title season under Gus because I just I went to every game that season pretty much home and away it was just unbelievable and you, you went to, you know, you'd get the train to Rochdale to Carlisle and you'd go there thinking we're going to win 2 or 3-0, which is just unheard of for Brighton. I don't think, even when we went up under shooting, you never thought that. there were The championship was such a tight league that you, you know, oh, we might nick a point here or you know, three points would be fantastic. But we were so good that year under Gus that you just expected to turn every team over. And I don't think we'll ever see a Brighton team dominate a division like that team did ever again. 
Yeah, you you really did turn up expecting to win every game, didn't you? So it wasn't an arrogance. It was just a, a genuine belief that it was going to happen on the basis of what's gone on before. And I know, Peter, you were nodding away there big time. You, you remember those days with glee and relish. Yeah, that was uh, obviously... Well, I mean, the first part of the season, we just seemed to hammer quite a lot of teams. And then the second half, we just ground out so many one, two goal wins in that run where we won with 11 out of 12 or something. And we didn't win by more than two goals in that run, but we just won every game, even though... Yeah, there were so many times we might not have won, like that Carlisle game when we somehow managed to win when they equalised for the 91st minute or whatever and then bring up the shot. Yeah. I mean, did you, I don't know, Scott, did you do this? I, I found myself in the end when watching Poyet games, when you watch them back on TV, those times you were on, because we did get a few live games, didn't we, back then as well, because it was starting to, to be the, the, the ones worth um, broadcasting from the lower leagues when there was the opportunity to do that. I remember watching games on TV, watching the back and counting the passes, going, this is nuts. This is a passing Brighton team again, first time in years. And actually going, oh, it's a 32-pass move here. Oh, it's an 18-pass move. This, that's kind of matter of fact now, isn't it? We do that now, two divisions above in the Prem, which seems even madder. Um, but did you find yourself doing that, just just looking back and thinking, this, this is incredible, the way we're playing football here. I know it was all yeah. proportional, it's in League One, but it was great, wasn't it? There was, one, there was one goal against, I think it was Orient on New Year's Day, and we smashed them 5-0. And there's one goal that goes from back to front of about... 20 passes Murray finishes it off and it's just it's just it was um, it was unheard of to play football like that and get out of League One before we did it because I remember when Gus was appointed he said you know I want to play this way and everyone was like well you won't win promotion playing like that you've got to you know be a bit more direct but we literally rewrote the rule book of how to win promotion at that league and I mean that division was probably as good as it's ever been because you had Southampton who finished second who one back-to-back promotions. Their team was good enough for the Premier League in League One. You had Huddersfield, who set that English football record for games unbeaten. And then you had Peterborough, who had the front three of McLean, Boyd and Mikhail Smith, who would just outscore any team, probably in you know even in the Championship. So to to dominate that division and win it and play the way we did was just you know absolutely incredible. And like I said, I don't think it will ever be beaten. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant, isn't it? It's great stuff. Really, really good. And we were saying, I think it was off air, that um, you're in the West Upper nowadays for Amex home games. Um, what's your general match day ritual now? And has that changed a lot from those Poyet years and um, and beyond? Yeah, I mean, sort of, you know, when we were ripping through League One, going to with Dean, I'd always be in the pub at 11 in the morning because <laughs> you sort of needed to drink a lot, didn't you, to get through <laughs> going to games at with Dean. These Just days a bit. a bit more restrained. I'm, you know, a couple of pints beforehand, go to the game, come home a couple of pints afterwards, try and get home for Strictly when Strictly's on. <laughs> um, but, yeah, yeah. Me, me and my friend do have a, a ritual that we, we go through. And it started with the, um, you know, that Charlton game under Hewton. We were 2-0 down at half-time and we came back mm. to win 3-2. Yeah, um, that was just before Christmas. So that game, we decided, right, sod it. We bought ourselves a pint and a wine at half time each. Fifteen minutes to get through that, and obviously we won three two, didn't we? So every game ever since, we have a pint and a glass of wine at half time, which probably but, explains why sometimes, you know, the we are bright in Twitter account takes a bit of a slide towards what it shouldn't be saying in the second half of home games. That's quite yeah, a commitment I mean, to every every half time. That's impressive. Yeah, it's a bloody expensive commitment as well. <laughs> and also, yeah. you you must miss some game, some some action as well, because sometimes you can't get that 
get through that queue quickly, can you, as well? Especially uh, at the West Upper. I'd say I'm, often we're lucky to be back in our seats by 55 minutes. And then when we had that little period where we were always scoring at the start or the end of the first half, we just thought, God. But then it's worth it if you pick up the three points. I don't mind missing a goal if it means we're going to win a game. You should get the club to like kind of pay for your drinks if it's like bringing us good luck. <laughs> if I was on better terms with Paul Barber, I'm sure I'd suggest that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might not be the right timing to to move in with that request. Yeah, um, I mean, speaking of drink, drinking with football, I mean, I, I've got to say, I, I find, I'm damning in my condemnation of that. I just can't approve of anyone trying to do some kind of recording or broadcast or po- podcast or something while drinking something. So it's absolutely <laughs> awful. He says raising it. Come on, um, Peter and I have been guilty of um of, of our voices changing somewhat during the course of some of our podcasts. We we often do them. We're both in London. We both um meet up quite regularly for podcasts in the pub and it's it's weird how our voices change and get kind of slurry for some reason <laughs> as the podcasts go on sometimes it's proper professional broadcasting standard sure it's a know. coincidence <laughs> and, the, and the match day specials get interesting as well i have to say the, <laughs> especially the most recent one which was uh yeah there was, there was quite a bit of slurring going on I've, I've i've discovered a lot about myself doing this actually mainly that i've got a slur level of about three points i always sound a bit slurry after three i can carry on much longer after that still fed pretty compass methods but i sound drunk quite early on which is not a great way to be is it for such things but um <laughs> it it all helps to ease the pain doesn't it and occasionally enhance an already good experience um and we've had some good ones in recent years and we'll maybe get on to getting your views on the modern Albion and and particularly this season, what you think. But first of all, you've you've mentioned We Are Brighton and you've mentioned Paul Barber as well. Um, Tell us a bit about We Are Brighton. How did that all come about and who's involved in it apart from yourself? So we set it up in 2009. So it's been going basically. I mean, it, it started with a podcast which didn't last very long called The Albion Moaning, which was in response to, oh, yeah. I don't know if you, if you guys remember. I've heard of it, yeah. Um, Ian Hart got sacked from Southern Counties, as it was then, for calling <laughs> for calling a caller a window liquor. <laughs> yes, so yes, a rather unfortunate I mean, <laughs> uh, issue. We've had him on recently, actually. Ian Hart. Uh, it, yeah, yeah, it was unacceptable in 2009, so totally yeah. unacceptable now. But yeah, so we set up at the Albion moaning in response to that, which wasn't so much a moaning as we just sort of planted our friends, have them call in and say ridiculous things like, um, don't build a stand behind the goal at the Amex, put in a water slide and stuff like that and putting forward, you know, ridiculous people to be managers like Anne Boleyn and stuff when um, when Adams got sacked. And then that sort of, so we started off with the podcast and we just thought, well, where can we go from here? And it just seemed natural to have a website to, to host it and, you know, it just sort of grew from there really. So it launched for the start of the 2009-10 season seems quite apt that one of the first games we covered was a 7-1 defeat at Huddersfield. God, I remember that. That was awful. <laughs> and it's just sort of, yeah, grown from there, really. Brilliant. So it's a website uh, predominantly, and you write um, blogs on there, don't you? And also, I think, is it, am I right in saying you contribute to other publications? Is it the Brighton and Hove Independent, I think, being the one where you did your, uh, your article on the ticketing, for example? Do, do you do that regularly, and is there other outlets as well yeah so i have um i have a column in the brighton hove indy once a week um do something for the bbc once a week which goes on their little brighton feed occasionally write a bit for 90 minutes football and sometimes sussex live you know ask for 
for opinions and stuff. So it's quite, it's quite varied, really. It's quite enjoyable speaking to different people because you can obviously, you know, what you can say on We Are Brighton, you can't necessarily say, well, <laughs> not, not necessarily about it, really. You can't say it on the BBC. So it's sort of, it's good to, you know, have different outlets and stuff. And for this season as well, we've started um, having other fans write for We Are Brighton. So rather than just being the couple of us who were producing the content, we're now getting other people to contribute, which is gives it a much more broader view and like a better base of opinions. And I think that would appeal to more people because they're a lot more positive than, than the coverage used to be, which is sort of what you need when you're flying high and eight for the Premier League, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. I mean, we're, we're just about to come to the end of two years of doing the podcast, um, Peter and I, and um, we've got a load of people on here, most of whom I've, I'm acquainted with in some way or other, or we've got guests on who've got some kind of connection with the club or something like that. And, you know, we tend to find most people have got something decent to say. There's a lot of people have got a voice, and I think more people than ever are willing and kind of inclined to to share their opinions. And so I think there's a, there's a huge demand for that sort of thing, isn't there, to get more and more people involved, fanzines are coming back, um, there's more and more blogs, there's more and more you know, content than ever on social media and other outlets. It's um, It's good to see in a way, as long as the content or the opinions are, not offensive in some way it's um it's great to see isn't it and it sounds like you guys have got quite a bit going on in that regard yeah I, I mean I think you look at other clubs and I think Brighton are very very lucky that we have so many different fans who are putting content out there I mean mm. a lot of clubs are dominated by one or two sort of you know just one like Arsenal you look at and you think Arsenal fan TV um, Liverpool have got you know the Anfield rap stuff like that but we've for Brighton, we've got so many different people doing so many different things that it's just, there's enough to keep you going through for the entire week, isn't there? And that's what I think makes it such a special time to be a Brighton fan because everyone's so enthusiastic about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that definitely helps. The success certainly helps. <laughs> um, I think I think we would have wallowed in misery and, and, and actually enjoyed the whole wine fest and uh, not not in the terms of this, what's in this glass, but in terms of uh, the wind, whinge fest, I should say. Um um, yeah, we'd still be loving it, <laughs> to be honest. But I think it does help if, if people are on, on a feel-good factor. We're riding a wave. We're having a great time as well. It's even more inspiring, isn't it, to get more people out there. But it's, it's great. I mean, um, if, if people just – we'll probably throw this in again at the end, but just at this juncture, if I get you to, to mention your website, where people want to check it out, how do they find you? I, I'm, I think it's going to be easy to find, but just tell us the <laughs> website anyway. Yeah, so it's, it's just wearebrighton.com. There we go. That's what I there told is you it. <laughs> Excellent. And you're on Twitter as well and all the other usual kind of um, social media things, aren't you? Um, yeah. I, I think from time to time, it's more kind of secondarily, I've heard that you've kind of pushed a few buttons and, and irritated a few people through the, through the months and years. Um, other fans, I think we're talking about mainly here. I don't know if that's, that's really true or not. Um, because mutually we both know Robin. I mean, he, he's mentioned, I think you sometimes you can be in a quiet taste. I don't know what he meant by that at the time, but um, is it just opinion, very opinionated? Is that in terms of you you, you don't hold back? Is, it, is that yeah, the case? I think, or I mean, I guess we say what other people don't want to say, and it is quite opinionated. And sometimes, <laughs> normally when there's alcohol involved, you know, it can get a, a bit controversial with what is said and stuff. And, uh, you know, bad tasting jokes, what have you, and you know we've we've been wrapped in the knuckles for it before, and you, and it yeah it is a it is an acquired taste, but 
I think, you know, when you, if you follow We Are Brighton, you know what you're, you're signing up for. And the fact that we've got, you know, 50,000 followers shows that people are willing to, to listen to that acquired pace. And <laughs> one thing I would say is it's toned down a lot because what you could say 10 years ago, you definitely can't say now as we were just mm-hmm. discussing with the whole hearty phoning debacle, really. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah we had to edit. Of... We had to edit Hearty when he was on a little bit. There's a couple <laughs> of bits. I'll tell you off there, but it's quite very funny. I know it was. It's not offensive in one sense. I mean, there was nothing really objectionable in the the, the ways most things would be. But I thought mm, better better cut it out. You know, it's, it's a little bit difficult. But you, you, how many followers did you just say you had? So we've got fifth, uh, just over fifty thousand on Twitter. Mental, isn't it? You've got getting close to two Amexes basically following you. It's it's absolutely crazy. I mean, we thought that when we got to sort of, you know, 30, 35,000, that would be saturation point because that's how many people go to the Amex. (laughs) But here we are, and it's still just growing and growing. And I I think it helps. Start a waiting list like the Albion have (laughs) got. Have some churn. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we've got 50,000 followers, but we'll announce it as, you know, 100,000 instead. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. A pretendence of, uh, um, yeah, it, I mean, that, that's brilliant. I mean, those numbers are phenomenal, you know, for a little old Brighton, as they say, um, as some people would say anyway. I mean, a lot of that is obviously it's going to be there, there will be fans of other clubs that might follow it and this that, and the other. So I'm sure not every single one of them is a Brighton fan, but it does show the level of interest there is in a club of our size, which I would call. Leicester, Southampton, Wolves kind of size club, a, a decent club that can call themselves a Premier Premier League club in more than just kind of temporary form. You know, we've we've got lasting power. We could, we could be up there for a while, and we, we fit the bill. We don't, we're not um, plucky little Brighton anymore. I don't think. I think we proved that with the new stadium. But still, those are phenomenal numbers, even even for a club with thirty thousand regular attendance or pretendants, whichever it might be. Um, it's still brilliant numbers, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> it's incredible. You've got to fit it into with Dean. <laughs> Just a little bit. Did you ever imagine when you first started you'd get anywhere near that? I mean, no. It's, I mean, it's... obviously at the time we were playing it with Dean, so what I'd be quite interested to do, and I don't know if you can do it, is go back and see how many followers we had when we left with Dean, how many we had when mm. we won promotions to the Premier League, because, I mean, in terms of the website, the explosion in growth in terms of um, like visitor numbers came under Hewton in like 2015-16 when it suddenly looked like we were going to be pushing for the Premier League and then obviously in the Premier League it's just gone absolutely crazy for Twitter followers, visitor website, uh, yeah, visitors to the website. It just goes to show, you know, the Premier League is absolutely massive no matter if you're a man, you know, if you're a Manchester United it's big but even for a club like Brighton as you were saying a minute ago, it's it's huge to be there because of the you know, the attention that you get from the rest of the football world. And of course, if we, if they may, you may get quite a few out, but every, every Brighton link with like the um, Jahan Batch signing and the Percy Tower signing, you know, kind of, even though they might leave soon afterwards, we probably, probably a lot of sudden interest in Zambia wasn't there on us. And Yeah, I mean, well. the Percy Tower thing is a perfect example of that because I think we've, we've got, we've got 26,000 followers on Facebook. Before Percy Tower signed, we were on about 21 so we just gained 5,000 followers effectively and I was a little bit worried because I thought when he was sold oh Christ that's 5,000 followers gone but they've all stuck with it admittedly mostly to say Percy Towers won the African Champions League Brighton and rubbish and there are still some people who seem to you know some South Africans who 
who do follow Brighton because we were the club that gave them a chance, even if it didn't work out for whatever yeah, reason. Some might get some might get hooked, and and a lot of the time people just just keep keep the following details as they are and um, leave it as that. You know, so nobody knows that, do they? When they're looking at your um, your stats online, brilliant. <laughs> Now, um, we mentioned him earlier. Let's bring him up again. Mr. Paul Barber, you upset him a little bit, didn't you, a couple of weeks ago? There's a, there's a ticketing scheme in place, of course, everyone knows, for season ticket holders to be able to um, pass on tickets to other people legitimately through the club's approval, which has not been very popular, I think it's safe to say, with a lot of fans. I don't know proportionally how many this will be, but you um, published an article around about the time of the Wolves game, wasn't it, I think? Was it yeah, the it was after, game or... after the Bulls game in yeah. the Brighton Independent, which essentially said that, and it, I think this is where you know it's, the waters become a little bit murky because the point of the article was that yes, the reason that the stadium was half empty was because of COVID. It was because mm. people didn't want to risk getting COVID before Christmas. But at the same time, if those supporters who weren't weren't willing to go to the game didn't want to risk getting COVID, totally understandably, if they could give their ticket for free to any one of their friends, then chances are the stadium would have been less empty, basically. And that was the crux of the argument that the the current season ticket scheme is directly impacting on attendances because people aren't passing their tickets on. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly the case. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing you know people um, personally that are in that position. I certainly am in that position. Peter, I don't know if you would have people you'd pass on to, but um, in your case, no, I'm not I, sure. Yeah, you, I completely agree. Yeah. I think the games generally have been emptier anyway this season. And yes, it's partly due to COVID, but yeah, I think me and Russ, having discussed it on, on, on the pod, do agree completely with pretty much what you said. It's like, I just don't see the point of this scheme. It costs so much money to buy a season ticket anyway. Why are they then charging the people who pay the most money for stuff? The, one hmm. of the most interesting things about um, what Paul Barber said was that the you know, the scheme's been a massive success and that the stadium hasn't been em- very empty for games. But there was recently um, a complaint filed against the club because um, a new season ticket holder couldn't get their season ticket to work. Um, so he he basically wanted, you know, 50 quid back for the two games that he couldn't get into the ground for. That went to the football ombudsman. Um, I know it was, it was that he couldn't sit in his seat because he couldn't find his seat because of something with the ticket. And he left the Watford game or the Everton game because he couldn't find his seat and he wanted a refund from the club. The club wouldn't give him a refund. Um, It went to the football ombudsman who obviously oversees disputes like this. And the club's reasoning for not giving the refund was that there were 10,000 empty seats, which obviously I don't think that was the case for either of those games because the stadium looked reasonably full. But at the same time, if there were 10,000 empty seats, it undermines their their point that this season ticket mm. scheme is working really well because you wouldn't have that number of empty seats if it mm. was. Yeah, yeah. There's various difficult problems involved here, isn't there? I mean, first of all, as you say, COVID is, is blurring the waters a lot, obviously, you know, and it's understandable that a number of people are either unable to or reticent to go to games. Um, but I do think, I, I completely agree with you that um, I think the ticketing scheme isn't working as well as it could do under this system. I know, I, I appreciate Paul's point that um, 
it might not be technically within the the rules to give it to a friend and then do whatever just give it for free or charge a small amount back or whatever yes i can understand that but that's what has happened that's what still happens all up and down the country or at least it does where this this sort of system hasn't been put in place and i can understand the safety element of it in terms of needing to know who the person is not just for um general reliability reasons in case they cause disorder in the ground obviously that's one thing which uh, which needs to be known um so i can understand them wanting to know who the person is that's actually there and also of course for covid reasons as well um and having logistical reasons for that but it seems to me as, as peter said you know the, the fact that there's a number of people such as me who won't even bother trying now obviously to to get friends to come along because it's too much hassle i, I don't really can't be bothered to pay 25 quid for what would for me just be a one-off maybe a two-off a season scenario um it seems a waste of money to me to do that when I'd, I'd maybe more readily put it on the tickets ticket exchange scheme which i think is a good scheme it's good to have that um and then also have somebody else pay 20 quid so i mean we've we've had this on the podcast a few times we won't go into too much detail about our thoughts but obviously the idea is you might get a new fan out of it. You might just get someone who's got some sort of subsidiary, secondary interest in the Albion and might might come occasionally to games once in a while. In either case, you're going to get more revenue because you're going to get some people buying drinks, buying food, maybe buying programmes, sweets or whatever else that's on sale in the club. And um, you might get repeat interest. And I think the amount of money they might earn from the ticket scheme might be negligible compared with the amount of extra revenue, which is a bit of a an unknown quantity. Um, so it's hard to actually put this into statistical form. But surely you might you may be in a position, and I think we are in a position where we're probably losing out in any revenue we're gaining on the ticket scheme with the charges uh, for current season ticket holders um, and their friends than you would do with um, possible new revenue because it's unquantifiable, isn't it? If you get I don't know to say random figure, if you get 500 new Albion fans out of this system per season there's no way even if you knew that exact figure was was the figure you don't know how much revenue that would constitute because they might just go to the game or they might go to the game get hammered and spend about 100 quid in the stadium there could be anything in between couldn't it it's it's really difficult I think the I think the key thing is 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 you're losing out on match day revenue yes but you're also losing out on people potentially coming Brighton fans because yeah I, Mm. I a few seasons ago, you know, when my friend couldn't come, I'd take my friend, who was a Chelsea fan, you know, he'd pay my friend 20 quid for the ticket, whatever it's worth, he'd have the seat. Now he's a Brighton season ticket holder, barely thinks about Chelsea. And you think how many other people are in that sort of basket. And the club have shot themselves in the foot because the fact they're advertising half-season tickets available now means that they haven't sold out the season tickets available. From what I can gather, there could be a you know, there's the potential to have a huge drop-off in season ticket numbers next season because people will think, if I can't move my ticket on easily, what's the point of having a season ticket when you can just buy a match? Yeah. That's then, right. That's that the other problem. Is, yeah. That is a mm. massive... I mean, it's, okay, it's not a massive revenue loss compared to a broadcast deal, but for a club who, so like Trumpeting, we've got 10,000 our season ticket holder list or whatever, to then suddenly not sell every available season ticket that's going to be a huge kick in the teeth. And I think they've realised that because um, in the in his Brentford programme notes, Paul Barber, 
cut a much more conciliatory tone than he had done in his response to the Brighton ending. He basically said, right, we're going to, you know, we are willing to look at the scheme. And he's made a rod for his own back in a way because by being so blase saying it's working, it's working, it's working, if it is working, then there's absolutely no need to change it at the end of the season. And I think I'm 90% certain that we'll have some sort of change at the end of the season in it because I just don't see how the club can continue with it, especially if the season ticket renewals drop off. Yeah, but I think at the moment, almost the only benefit, main benefit of having an up, uh, unless you're literally going to all 19 home games, maybe, but the only benefit otherwise to going to having a season ticket is to away ones, because I don't think you get into any of the London away games, for example, if you don't have a ticket. And that's probably, to be honest, given my mind tends to dropped off this season a bit, I probably, if it wasn't for away games, would start thinking about whether I needed a season ticket. It is mainly the fact that I don't want to miss the London away games and that sort of thing that, that keeps me doing it. Um, yeah, yeah, I think I think it's I probably it. it's probably the home home only type fans that might be more likely to drop mm. off. I think overall, isn't it? I'm, I'm obviously I said this is this is conjecture. I don't really know, but you can imagine those sort of fans that just oh, I'll just pass it on to you know Jeff up the street or something. I know or some someone like that. But I, I, I know there's a large number of people who don't tend to go to away games at all. Maybe an older generation, broadly speaking, you could say. Um, but they might be encouraging people, either siblings or people in a younger generation, to come along. And as you said, that, that your point, though, Scott, is really interesting. The, the idea of would people actually keep the season tickets at all if they can't pass it on? Um, it depends how many games they're going to miss. I mean, I've missed the last two home games, and that's unusual for me. I, I rarely miss any home games at all, let alone two in a row. Um, but um, so it's not really an issue for me. I'm going to just take a hit if I have to take a hit on it. Um, I probably would have been able to pass on one of those two tickets to somebody I know. Um, but for other people, you know, if, you, if, if you're in a... We both know somebody who barely can get to the games, even though they've got a season ticket. I mean, if they're able to pass on in a really good system that isn't very costly and is more encouraging, say six or seven tickets a season or eight tickets a season because they can't get to those games or even more. Um, that's a lot of revenue just on one ticket just alone there, isn't it? And it's the goodwill, it's the, it's the, you know, it's the good relationship between Paul and the rest of the people at the club with the fans. And it's about um, also the atmosphere of games. If you'll get more people coming to the games, that could be beneficial as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm in, I'm in a similar boat whereby I can afford to keep the season ticket even if I don't go to too many games but there's I mean it's not let's be honest it's not cheap to be a Brighton season ticket holder and if if you are basically scrimping and saving to use that ticket you want to use it every week and if you can't use it every week you want to be able to give it to someone who you know can use it every week so if if it comes down to someone who has been a season ticket holder since the start of the Amex, but they're suddenly missing six games because, you know, TV are messing around with it or whatever. That seat's going empty for six games. They're suddenly better off financially buying individual tickets for the 13 games they can attend. Yeah, that's it right. Just seems, yeah. I mean, I know this is the whole thing about who actually owns the seat and all that sort of thing, and I, I get it's like technically season ticket holders don't own the seat, but if you've already paid for something, it feels really annoying to have to pay for it again once you've actually already bought it. You know, it's like literally... I purchased my, yeah, effectively used my seat for a season. Now, why am I now having to pay 25 quid so someone else can use it who I want to use it? You know, it seems a really odd system. And I don't mind if there was like a five, ten pound admin fee for the person who was taking the season the ticket for that game to play. If they had to do that, that's not a problem. But it's the fact that and, they're and for the charging 45 quid effectively for the first game. 
a lot of money to pay. Sort of, I mean, the ironic thing is if season tickets went up by 25 quid a season and they hadn't mentioned that it was for this facility, no one would have batted an eyelid because mm. yeah. spread over a direct debit, that's £2 a month, isn't it? But because, mm. they, because they've said, right, this is for this reason and suddenly something that used to be for free, people aren't getting for free anymore. I mean, that's never a good thing to do in the first place. Yeah. You know, charging people something they've done for free. And the ironic thing about, you know, me writing this article and the Brighton Indies, I've actually paid to upgrade my season ticket and I've paid the £25 so that my partner can become a member so she can come to games when my friend can't. So, right. you know, I've, <laughs> I've done it, but begrudgingly, I'd say, because, you know, there's been games this season when we haven't been able to fill a seat, me and my friend, where before we would have given it to, you know, someone who doesn't have enough interest in Brighton to pay £25 to become a member. And that's the thing, is it's not just, yeah, you pay the 25 and someone else pays for the 20 25 to do it first time. You then, yeah, if it's someone different the next time, which you quite often will be, it won't always be the same person who takes it. They've then got to pay, they've got to pay as well. So it's like, yeah, it's not like mm. it's done once you've paid your... your yeah, I mean, Paul, Paul made a point, didn't he, in, the, in his response about... I can't remember the exact wording now. Actually, I don't have it to hand, but he, he said something alluding to something about you already get good value because you get a discount on the tickets, which is obviously the point of the season ticket. Um, and yeah, you do, but I don't quite see when that fits into the argument because that's the whole point of paying up front a sizable amount of money to commit. But that's a mutually beneficial thing. We get a discount because mm-hmm. we're going, committing to every game. They get money up front and uh, an assurance of ticket income in advance for the season, which they can then make their, obviously their budget and um, projections are based on that amongst other things. Um, so I don't really see where that argument sits because for me, if I've, if I'm going, got 19 tickets and I can't go to these two games, let's say two or three games this season. Um, if I'm going to sign up to that deal, and I know you did, yeah, as you said, you did do Scott, but it's 25 quid. So, I mean, you're not really getting anything back monetarily unless you've got, kind of the benefit of it to the tune of maybe two or three games for me I think otherwise you're not really you're not getting anything back really you're probably going to charge your mate a little bit less if he wanted to use the ticket or your friend or your girlfriend or wife whatever it might be you wouldn't feel right charging the full season ticket amount let alone the full ticket price I don't know it's different for other people but I wouldn't do I'd maybe if I was selling it I'd probably go look just give me 15 quid for it or 20 quid maybe um so to get that money back for example you're going to have to get two to three games really to make it worth your while for all the extra hassle plus if you kind of add in some kind of relevance to the other person paying 20 quid as well it just seems yeah i just don't i don't think it works but as you said um paul has put a thing in the brentford program which i'm still waiting for by the way <laughs> i get it posted to me nowadays on the subscription and i still haven't received it let's put that down to the christmas post as we sit here on the what is it the 4th of january recording <laughs> um <laughs> but apparently in the article he's he there, there's a lot of allusions to him reviewing the system and fair play to them because i do think they need to do that and i welcome the change because i don't think the system works well enough but um Let's just hope they come up with a system that works better because I, I think, you know, the, at least they're listening to us anyway. At least they it, are. It's an interesting turn, though, from, their, from the article, from the letter he sent to the, the Brighton Independence, the body who published that, wasn't it? Who very basically called it clickbait, which I thought was not particularly um, yeah, the, good, good use of terminology. It's like that it's was, they changed their mind so quickly to then the yeah. programme for Brentford. I mean, Paul Barber does have a habit of. I mean, he, the one thing you can say about him is he does engage with the fans better than any 
CEO in the Premier League, probably in the country. But he also has a habit of, I think, you know, firing off without thinking because all he had to do was reply to the original the original article in the Indy with what he put in the Brentford programme saying, um, we think the, the, the system's working, but we'll review it at the end of the season. Then that's the issue killed, it goes away. By calling it clickbait, it just sparked a, you know, it just snowballed, it just went mad from that point. And yeah. he got the club a lot of bad press. And it's, it's not the first time he's done that because I don't know if you guys remember in the when Premier League pay-per-view came about and everyone was up in arms about it, people were emailing, and he emailed back one fan saying, um, you know, we support it. And unfortunately, football fans want everything for free. Just thought, mm. well, you know, you can probably say that to a Man United and Liverpool fan, but without, you know, Brighton fans digging into their pockets to save the club in 92, without buyer player funds, without the alive and kicking funds, you know, there wouldn't be a football club to pay him his £2 million a year salary if Brighton fans effectively hadn't have kept the club alive out of their own pocket. It's just a completely yeah. ridiculous thing to say. And I'm, sometimes you think he just needs to, you know, he doesn't need to reply to every email straight away, sit back, think if it's a good idea or not. And then it can save a lot of like, the bad press that got and a lot of bad press that the whole clickbait thing's got. Yeah. I mean, to be fair to him as well, and obviously he's not, he's not on here to answer the, the other side of it, but I, I, yeah, I do think he responds quickly um, to correspondence. I mean, as you said, it's brilliant that we've got a CEO. You can email him and he'll, he'll, he'll reply generally um, directly to you and within a pretty short time frame as well. Um, and he also does respond to situations that we were talking about how we might be adapting the ticketing scheme here. You know, he is listening. He is looking to answer issues to address problems. So I'd, I'd give him that, definitely. But I do think, I agree with you, there's a certain... A couple of times I've thought, oh, you probably didn't want to say that. The clickbait thing being the part of that article where I thought, oh, that's going to really ruffle some feathers. Um, I know, <laughs> I know he'll feel his feathers were ruffled as well beforehand. But, but you know, that is an unfortunate term because it's kind of belittling, or it seemed to be belittling, the, a very pertinent point that you're making, under, you know, at the, at the base of this article about the issue of the ticketing scheme in general. Um, and, and to, it sounds quite dismissive and a bit too simplistic to say clickbait, you know. Yeah, yeah. you want to get interest in your articles, of course you do, but that, that, that's well, a totally the, different thing to clickbait. As the such, ironic thing was that if it was clickbait, I would have posted it on my own website, so I, you know, got the visitors from it and wouldn't have written it for the for the indie. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, there is that. Anyway, but it's interesting that they, you know, they are obviously aware of what's going on. I, I do think they read and, and maybe listen to a lot of stuff that's being published out there. Um, and I, I, yeah, fair enough, they want to keep on top of things. But um, I just hope they carry on continuing to listen to the fans and adapting where necessary, where things aren't right. Because they're going to get stuff wrong, that's fair enough. They, they, yeah, missteps are just one of those things. Um, I think this is a misstep, this um, this tickling scheme in its current form, and we'll see what they come up with for next year, I guess. But I, I guess we'll leave that topic there. But let, let's get back onto football then for the last part of this. Um, we've got West Brom coming up at the weekend. We've just had a really good run in the league, though. Um, seven points out of nine. We've beaten Brentford. We've drawn with Chelsea and perhaps even deserved to win that game. And we've won away at Everton. Some cracking goals from open play. We've scored more than two goals in a match. We've got our first goal at Chelsea. There's a whole load of ducks being broken, you know, um, here. And 
things are looking great, aren't they? Even though we had that long run without a win. How are you finding the modern Albion in general and Albion this season in particular, Scott? It's a, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because we obviously started fantastically and you thought everything's coming together. I think in a way, yeah. we started the season better than the team we are. and then, But then the complete opposite of that was the fact we went on an 11-game winless streak, whereas we're a better team than that as well. You know, we're, I'd peg us as, you know, a, a solid, you know, 10th in the table probably. So those two contrasting runs were a little bit of a surprise. But, I mean, you, you talk about the FA Cup. I think that this is the year to, I mean, it would take an absolute cock up for us to go down from here. I know Brighton are good at these sorts of things, but <laughs> to, to go from 16 points clear, at, you know, in the new year to, to being relegated when we've only lost, you know, a handful of games all season would be, pretty impressive in a way yeah yeah it's and, not don't write us off it's don't write us on <laughs> yeah <laughs> but at, yeah. at the same time i can't see us you know people are talking about qualifying for europe but i don't see us you know finishing the top six i think we'll be eighth maybe at best you know anywhere down to 13th yeah. 14th and you listen to the, the you know the european super league elite managers they're all saying too many games, going to have to rest players. If they genuinely mean that and they don't take this, the FA Cup seriously this season, there's a real chance that an unfashionable club such as ourselves could go a, a long, long way. And I, I guess it's obviously the, the Albion's priority would be um, finishing as high up the league as possible because of the prize money on offer. But you know, there's a, there's a chance here that Graham Potter and these, this group of players could write history by going all the way to Wembley and who knows you know we've proven we can beat Man City on on our day who knows even winning the FA Cup and you know it's obviously not worth much in monetary terms but in terms of what it would give fans and you know the moment it would be it'd be absolutely fantastic oh 100% and this is the season to do it this is the first time we can genuinely feel quite comfortable at the halfway stage which is what we're at at the moment in the league um you know, as you said, barring a miracle, we're not going to go down this year. We can really go for it we, in earnest. I know we need to prioritise positions in the table as well, so you can't go completely gung-ho in just one competition that's not the league. But, yeah, we, we could really go on a run, and with a favourable wind, but not a ridiculously hard draw like, you know, Spurs away, followed by Arsenal away, followed by Liverpool away, followed by City away. Yeah, we might have a problem if that happens. But if you get a, like, a reasonably all right draw and you get maybe one, maybe two really, really tough games in the whole run, we could win it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as you said, we've beaten City in the recent past. We've beaten Liverpool in the recent past. We deserve to beat Chelsea, I think, on midweek last week. You know, those, those are the best that this country can offer at the moment. We could be anyone on our day and why not? Yeah, yeah. And we're in a position now where we, we're going into the first round for us, which is the third round, knowing that we are probably going to be safe. So we can go into it with confidence. I'd love us to do it. And um, it's West Brom away um, this Saturday, um, of course. Lovely West Brom, the older Albion. I do like to say that we're the proper Albion when I meet West Brom fans just to wind them up and then quickly backtrack and go, oh, no, I'm only joking, boys. They do get a bit upset about that otherwise. <laughs> but, um, you know, we, we haven't played them a huge amount of times. So I've done a head-to-head on... Everton last week and yeah we only played them about 20 times but we haven't played West Brom that many many games more than that actually our head-to-head record is six wins nine draws 11 losses relatively close overall I suppose we're a little bit behind the curve 
Um, we beat them in the cup, didn't we, fairly recently when we faced them. And Donny should have got sent off and got away with it. Um, our first Premier League win as well. And our first Premier League win. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, at the Amex, isn't it? And, you know, so we've got some recent games against them. We've done OK overall. Um, not, not, the, not, the the, not so good in that so trip much. to the Hawthorns that season, though. That mm. was one of the worst the performances one, like, yeah. in our whole time in the Premier League. <laughs> that was awful, wasn't it? So. Well, Absolutely. Managed to miss two penalties in the space. Yeah, there is that as well. To be fair, the other one, I think Pardew's only went about twenty games on West Brom. Was the time he went there, and we lost in the first season, wasn't it? That was dreadful, wasn't it? I was at that game. It's horrible. Um, Good atmosphere, though. To be fair to them, Um, but yeah, I, I mean. They're one of those sticky kind of teams, aren't they? We could very easily come unstuck against a team like them. They're flying high and they seem to have got their acting uh, together in the last few weeks. They're really getting a bit ahead of steam up. They've signed Daryl DK as backup, who wasn't ready for the league game at the weekend, but he's he'll be available for the cup match. Um, so they've got backup of a reasonable quality. Seven goals in half a season uh, for Ishmael's former club at the time, um, at Barnsley, and now he's back in the UK. And they've got, obviously, they've got Carly Grant and they've got Callum Robertson, Robinson is good, and Diagani. So they've got a few people coming in here. They could swap things around. They're going to be a bit of a threat. We can't be taking them too lightly. But how do you see it going, Scott? Do you reckon we're going to get the result? It depends on the team, doesn't it, really? Yeah, I mean, I guess. I think we're, in a way, West Brom hitting form now is a good thing for us because it might tempt them to put all their eggs into the promotion basket rather than yeah. you know, risking a cup run. And that's sort of what happened last time we played them in the cup, wasn't it? They were looking to get promoted. I mean, we went the yeah. I know I went to a replay, but we went to the Hawthorns and we should have had that game buried because they put out a reserve side in front of what four thousand people or something, wasn't it? They just they had absolutely no interest in the cup. And I guess the other positive thing that, I mean, I presume Clark and Malumbi can't play for them either, so that's two of their players out. If you're missing two first-choice players, you know, what's the point? That I mean, that might make them think, what's the point in trying anyway? Let's just get the kids out and get this game over with. And I mean, you look at the strength of our squad and, you know, the players that interchange. I mean, who's coming in who's, who hasn't played for a few weeks? Pascal Gross, class, Solly March might play. Yeah, well bet in these minutes, fantastic. Jason Steele, you know, safe pair of hands. <laughs> the yeah. Amity throwing in every sort of hour or so. But, you know, it's, <laughs> this is the strongest squad Brighton ever had. And we don't, combined with the fact that, you know, we don't actually need to make wholesale changes because of our, how strong the league position is, you'd think it should be a routine game. But, you know, this being the album, you never know, do you? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's right. If you look at the, the breadth of the team, the depth of the team is is great. And, um, yeah, we, we could step on. We should step on. Um, I've no idea what kind of team we'll put out. We don't. We never know with Graham Fotter anyway, even, even when we're not playing um, these kind of random, more random fixtures. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really up for it. I think we can do it. I'm don't know what's what sort of time he's what what sort of team he's going to put out, but I do think um, that we're playing with a general confidence within the squad, which I think will transfer itself into whatever the match day squad is on Saturday. I think there's a general buzz around the club. There must be, given the way we're playing, um, our away form as well. Of course, let's not forget we've only lost one game away from home this season still, um, and that was pretty um, you know it was pretty marginal. Um, I think. 
yeah, I'm, I'm going for the win here. I'm going to say 3-1. I said that against Everton and nearly got it right. I'm determined I've got to get it right this week. I'm going to go 3-1 to us. Um, slightly dependent on a fair wind and whatever. But what, what do you reckon, Scott? Got any um, score predictions? I think 2-1. 2-1, yeah. And Peter? I think it might be a to extra time. Um, so we'll play that strong team and I'm not sure they will. So maybe one or win on penalties. Yeah. God, I wouldn't be predicting a penalty win after that time. <laughs> oh, we we're not bad at penalty shootouts overall, though. But yeah, the, we've had some some faux pas, haven't we, in recent weeks <laughs> and months with penalty shootouts and, as you said, West Brom penalties in particular. Um, I don't know, actually, by we the way... To score Sam, some, surely. Yeah, yeah. The, the last league game West Brom played, they had Sam Johnson sent off after the final whistle and they also had Alex Mowat sent off for a, a straight red, kind of like a, a quite aggressive challenge near the end of the game. Um, I think Sam Johnson, by the way, a little bit harsh there to get a red but anyway I, as far as I'm aware that won't exclude them from this game I know the Premier League clubs it, it just carries on to the next Premier League game I'm not really sure with the EFL is that, is that um, five red cards as well because I know it's five yellows they were, Nader was saying that it, it carries over to the next league game but oh, is it, is oh, five maybe reds as well yeah I'm not sure but that could be interesting because that's two good players there who've got reds who are yeah they probably would know, play if, they, if they are allowed to because why not because they're not allowed to play for three more games so they probably yeah. wouldn't play them if they are allowed to play. Yeah, yeah. So that'll be interesting. I, I honestly don't know the answer to that one, but I'm just putting it putting it out there. People will be frantically Googling now, I'm sure, to find out. But um, even if we if they're both available, I still feel confident we can get the win. But we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, how do you see the season overall just, um, for the Albion? I mean, you've said anywhere between 8th and 13th or 14th, I think you said. I mean, I agree with you. I think that's, that's pretty much where we're going to end up somewhere in there. I'm going to... I'm going to say 10th. I reckon we'll we'll end up in 10th place itself. Um, at the moment, we're 9th and going OK. But I, I think we'll stay steady through the season. Um, but do you reckon if you had to put put a number to it, would you go around 10 as well, Scott, or somewhere a bit lower, higher? Yeah, 11th or 12th probably. I, yeah. I, sort of, I worry a bit about you know more games being called off for COVID and fixtures piling up yeah. and stuff. And because then it's, you know, it's about who's got the, I mean, we have got a strong squad, but we don't have the depth of, you know, if, if we're playing a Man City or someone when there's a fixture pile up, who's going to win that? Is it our second string is going to be nowhere near as good as theirs? But then, you know, that's open to, I mean, every other team's in the same boat, aren't they? So I think it could be a, you know, a strange old season. But mm. yeah, I, I mean, I think any progress on 15th, any progress on 41 points is what we're looking for, isn't it? Because just small steps towards becoming established in the top 10 as Tony Boone wants. And, you know, if we finish in 10th spot and we, we rack up what 50 odd points, that's a, that's a massive step forward. Hmm. Oh, interesting to see what happens this month as well. I think, you know, if I feel a lot more confident about a top, maybe top eight finish, even if we got a striker in, but it doesn't, it's sounding more and more like they're going to stick with what we've got. But if we did do that, that, Probably really have kind of increased my confidence about it, but at the moment we're still an injury to our Welbeck or Mopet away from being short up front again. Yeah, I get almost in a way it's a, a little bit of a noose in terms of gaining that extra squad member that we really could do with up front. Um, it's almost a bit of a noose that we've um, 
we've now got into such a good position come the January transfer window because we, we can afford to risk not taking a new yeah, striker in now, can't we? That's the can problem. You know, is, it, is it not better to get someone when you're in a position of strength where we're not going to go down this season? Exactly. They, uh, exactly. They've got time to settle in. There's not the pressure for them to come in and score goals this minute. That, that would be my answer to my own poser there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. I think just, yeah, build from a position of strength. It's the old edict, isn't it? And it really, it really does work. Um, yeah, then you're flying from abroad. You've, you know, they're not necessarily going to be perfect straight away anyway. So hopefully then by next season, they'll have settled in and they'll be ready to really fire. Yeah. Depends how much, um, I suppose, depends on how much weight and credence we give to the youth potential and the players coming back from loan spells. Say, for example, Mitoma, Ferguson, you know, people like that. Um, do do we have more? Do they have more belief in those players than we realise? Maybe they they want to just see it through to this season, and they're expecting those guys to hit the ground running. I don't know. Um, it's difficult to say. I'd like to see Matoma on your point there, Peter, about betting people in. I'd like to see Matoma come back if possible this season and get him some game time. Again, we're in a position of strength we can afford to field him with no great risk. Um, I get him to do that now. Custom. It sounds like more likely he's going to stay in. Mm in Belgium I think if Union weren't flying at the top of the league we would have had a lot better chance of getting him back but yeah, Blue's probably problem, not going to be thinking right let's bugger up my other team's title charge <laughs> by getting this chat back to Brighton if we get him as well um, Kozlowski or whatever his name is we do suggestions <laughs> that Union yeah, are going to get him as well yeah well what, what we do need to do we need to get um well, beer shot need to get shot of Caicedo, which is another way, a rather disingenuous way of saying um, Albion need to get Caicedo out of beer shot because it's apparently a bit of a, uh, a what's it show at the moment, isn't it? Um, total turmoil. Seems like a club in disarray. They're in a downward spiral. Things aren't great. There's been disharmony. There seems to be dissent and other stuff going on. It seems like an unhealthy environment for him to be in. I'd love to see him come out of there, even if he goes on another loan. He can't go alone again because he's played for us already this season. Oh, he has, so isn't he? Yeah. Well, when that case, bring him back for that cup run. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I'm inclined know. to agree with you. It doesn't sound like he's gaining much from playing mm-hmm. there. And, you know, without Basuma this month, another member of... And then you give him, if we're mid-table end of the season, you give him a few league games at the end. And hopefully, we've got to start looking yeah. at this at some point because, I mean, he's the obvious long-term Basuma successor, isn't he? And... Yeah, I mean, especially if Basuma, if we can't tie him down to a new contract, he's got to be sold in the summer, isn't he? So you need someone ready to step in because we, we won't get the, you know, the 50, 60 million we maybe should have done last summer with a player of one year left on his contract. So you, you won't have that large amount of money to reinvest on him of a replacement. So, yeah, get, you know, get anyone that you can in the squad now to who can potentially take over from Basuma next season. Yeah, and also fleshes out the squad while Basuma's away with the uh, with Afcon as well, doesn't it? Because um, obviously, you know, we're, we're seeing Wepper doing quite well, and although there's some flaws still to his game, he's settling in probably quicker than Basuma did. Um, but if Basuma's out and Wepo's taking his role, then we need someone to fill the Wepo role, so, as it were. So Caicedo would be a good person to integrate at the moment. I, I would be 100% in favour of him coming back to us for the rest of this mm. season. And as you said, later later in this campaign we can blood him in and get him some proper game time in a Premier League match, you know, some big games as well, even. And and that will really be um, the making of him, I think. Um, it's definitely a step he needs to take soon. And, yeah, 
uh, that plus, uh, and the other thing, we mentioned strikers. If we are getting a striker in, get him in now. Don't get him in the summer. Get him in now if it's not ridiculous money uh, and get him bedded in for the new season. Because however well this season's going, who knows what's going to happen next year. Um, we need to hit the yeah. ground running again. Yeah, and we need to start working also. I mean, I'm assuming the club are behind the scenes working on contracts. Obviously, I mean, Basuma, I'm assuming, probably won't sign one. But there's also, I think, Trossard, Mope and McAllister yeah. are all out of contract summer after next as well. So mm. that's just starting to be a bit of a, you know, quite a big group of quite, you know, young, talented players who yeah, we're only getting into the last 18 months of their contracts. Yeah, all of whom have, have rising stars, don't they? Their stars are rising. They're, re- they're really all making a good impression. So many people rate Trossard. They have lots of rival fans to speak to. They're all flag him up as one of the big names for us. Morpé is obviously valuable to us and I think a decent striker at this level. Um, yes, we might lose Basuma, but um, uh, who was the other one you, you said? There was someone McAllister, obviously. Oh, McAllister, yeah. I mean, yeah. McAllister, I mean, I know this is a, you know, it's only one, a one-off moment now we've just had the Everton game, but he's been playing well these three games. I've always rated him. I think he's coming into his own. He's getting regular game time and as such is then able to flourish more and relax into his role. Um, by the time you get him fully up and completely firing, <laughs> we might have a bit of an issue if we haven't got him on a new contract. By then. <laughs> so, yeah, they're all rising stars. We need to get him on longer contracts. Ideally, we need to get Basuma, persuade him to just sign a new deal based on, you, you know, unconditional that we would let him go to a club of a decent standing if necessary, rather than just let the contract go down. Obviously, that's up to Basuma whether or not he signs one, but we should do all we can to try and get him on a longer deal so that we get a better deal if we sell him. But anyway, we'll see. Uh, so any further thoughts on um, the season? Highlights so far, just quickly to round off then, Scott, so far. I mean, goal of the, goal of the season is going to be interesting, isn't it? There's been some great open goals, open goal goals scored this season. Uh, open play goals, even. I'll try and get the words out. Open play <laughs> goals this season. We've, we've had a few, haven't we? Um, yeah, it's it's what, mad, isn't it? Because normally you look at sort of a bright and gold of season competition and... There's one that you just think, well, that's miles better than, than a free header in the box or whatever. But this year, there's you know eight or nine already that could feasibly, you know, win it. It's just, it's crazy. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, it just shows. It's in a way, it's typical Brian, isn't it? Because we can't stick the ball in the back of the net from four yards out from an open goal, but we can have you know a much maligned centre forward scoring an overhead kick in the 89th minute. One of the most technically good goals you'll ever see in your life. It's just, it's crazy. Yeah. And then follow it with a brilliant bit of um, quick trap and whack um, uh, at Southampton the following week as well. Um, yeah, I've, it's incredible. Even this season, if you if you'd look at it at the calendar year, which uh, our friends in the old uh, Albion Raw have, have done their review of the um, the calendar season, and there's a load of goals, obviously, including mainly from this season, which they've listed as as all the highlights and you know they've all picked their own on that one but even if you cut it by calendar years you've already got a pretty good goal of the season candidate thanks to McAllister from Sunday and it's great isn't it there's um, so many to choose from it's it's happy days what's your favourite though this season um I thought Mwepu's at Liverpool was outstanding just everything about it you can you can see him he spots he spots Alisson doesn't he straight off his line Sun's in a dodgy place above the cop. It's absolutely intentional. It's just to do that in at Anfield against one of the best goalkeepers in the world is different class. And I think you touched upon it a minute ago and you said that he's developing and establishing himself faster than Basuma. And, you know, they're a similar age. And I just think that he's going to be 
absolutely incredible. And I'll be very, very surprised if we hold on to him beyond the end of, you know, 2022, 23 season. Yeah. Well, hopefully you'll hold on to your Zambian followers. Um... <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully there, there was... Wepu's formal tied off so they don't go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Neither does he. <laughs> There's, there's a bit of a, there was a real burst in that game at Everton where he just, he, he just sort of burst past three or four players, each time just beating someone to the ball and just started to drive an attack forward. I thought, oh, he's got so much dynamism in midfield. He's, he, he could be great. Yeah, he's, he's, he's just so intelligent as well. Like the, the little flick for McAllister's goal at Everton and the pass he played at yeah. Cardiff in the cup, which, you know, I've never seen a Brighton player play a 60-yard pass on the ground to split an opposition defence. I know it's only <laughs> Cardiff reserves, but he, yeah. he's just... I think he could, you know, potentially be the best that we've had. Yeah, the through ball against um, Brentford as well, of course, for um, Trossard's goal. Yeah, but yeah, plenty, the plenty more. People keep saying you ever hit that, and it's like, no, he didn't. Oh, he just, no. it's like, I don't understand your. I just think people are debating whether Trossard meant that, though, of course. So, speaking of Brentford, I, I've had a few rants on uh, about Chelsea, about Thomas Tuchel mainly, and about um, uh, Anthony Gordon's. Um, dirty tactics and is, is getting his foot in here, there and everywhere against Everton. But actually, just one quick snipe at Brentford. They didn't have Billy to be on this particular episode, but on their podcast, I listened back and they were saying how, well, they were scornful about the number of empty seats. And I thought, well, they were calling them excuses. They're reasons, not excuses, Brentford. Um, and secondly, they were saying that Sanchez's save with his foot from the deflected shot was a lucky save. I'm thinking, hang on, he adjusted himself in midair there. And if it had gone in, it would have been a lucky goal because it was a deflection. What are they talking about there? But anyway, rant over. <laughs> <laughs> um, that pretty much wraps it up for this one um, with, with you, Scott. So it's great for you to join us. Thank you for making your debut on the Brighton Rock podcast. Hopefully you'll come back and join us at some point in the future. Yeah, definitely. We might get you on to chat, um, I don't know, end of season review with Paul Barber maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hopefully it'll have sorted out my complimentary glass of half-time wine by then so we might be friends again <laughs> oh, yes. you. you've, got, you've got to keep these things up yeah, they don't help themselves yeah. and those queues they're not getting any smaller <laughs> well actually they are at the moment yeah. <laughs> but on that note we will bid you farewell so thank you Scott for joining us Plus. and also just one other bit of news actually that's just breaking while we're recording midweek here Brighton and Ove Albion, says the Albion website, are delighted to confirm the signing of midfielder Kasper Kozlowski from extraklasa side Pogon Szczesin, I think it's pronounced, <laughs> who knows, on undisclosed terms and subject to international clearance. The website article goes on to say that the 18-year-old Polish international has signed a contract until June 2026 and is set to head out on loan during the current transfer window, joining Belgium league leaders Royal Union Saint-Gilloise, Tony Bloom's club, of course. Uh, Kasper became the youngest ever player, it says, to represent their country at the European Championships when, aged just 17, he came on for Poland in the one-all draw with Spain at Euro 2020 in June of this year. Technical director Dan Ashworth said he is a bright young talent and we're very pleased to have completed the signing of Casper, who has made a lot of progress in his career at a very early stage. The initial plan for Casper in the short term will be for him to spend the rest of the season out on loan with Union. David Weir and his team will monitor his progress there. Added to that, um, the report then says that head coach Graham Potter um, stated, his style of play suits us and our style. During my time here, we have done very well in recruiting players for the future. 
and Casper is a similar signing. He will initially head out on loan as it is important for him to continue his development and he is keen to continue playing regularly. We will be watching with interest as he is a very exciting young talent and a player I am really looking forward to working with in the future. Well, Koslovsky came through the ranks with Pogon, making his first team debut at the age of just 70, sorry, at the age of just 15 years and 215 days old on the final day of the 2018-19 campaign as a last-minute substitute in a 3-0 win over Krakowia. He has gone on to make 40 league appearances for Pogon, scoring four times, of which three of those have come this campaign, and he has represented his country from under-15s through to senior level and he has made six appearances for the men's national team. The report on the Albion website concludes. So great news to get that deal over the line. We've been hearing about that being rumoured for a while. Great to see that's finally done. Welcome to the club, Kasper. And um, we've apparently beaten off some interest, how serious I don't know, from Liverpool, amongst others. So impressive to get that deal over the line, and it's great that we've got some transfer business done. Okay, so we are now joined by our um, FA Cup expert who we had on a few weeks ago. Uh, he's uh, very glad he, uh, from our point of view, um, agreed to come back on and to give us a little bit more insight into the FA Cup. It's Mr. Phil Annex. How are you doing, Phil? I'm doing very well. That's very well indeed. Glad to be back. Excellent. Really good to have you with us. Phil, um, Phil um, is also joined by two others, Peter, who's still with us, and his cat, Bernie, who's just uh, flashed in and out of shot, who may... Um, Come in with some contributions later on, I'm sure. <laughs> so yeah, he's, he would come on Sunderland, but he's the wrong colour of a, a cat for Sunderland. Yeah. Then there's a cat. There's a, there's a team called the White Cats, is there? Um, yeah, maybe, no, maybe White Tigers. Right. There's a White Tigers. Oh, near enough. Then. I think is it true? Are they known as the White Tigers? Mm-hmm. I'm not. He's got a choice between them and, and Sunderland, the Black Cats. So it's like <laughs> whether he's had more keen on species or. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's brilliant, White Tigers. I'll have, to, I'll have to look out for that. That's a snappy name. It's worth, if you haven't got a football team, it's worth picking them just for that, isn't it, really? <laughs> um, yeah. Well, anyway, yes, we have, of course, got you back, Phil, because it is FA Cup weekend coming up. Yeah. The Albion, that is the, the ones that we support here, Peter and I, are um, going away to, uh, well, the Albion, <laughs> the ones up in the Midlands. Um, and um, it's not the uh, first time we've met. In fact, we've met fairly recently in the competition and scraped through via a replay and getting away with a red card offence that uh, should have happened. A certain Mr Andone to blame for that one. But we did get through on that occasion. Um, I think Glenn Murray was amongst the scorers that day, wasn't he? Yeah. And Andone scored the first one. So luckily he had scored before he got sent off. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So so recent history with them, of course, we've we've met them a few times in, in recent games in the Premier League as well. Um, but I don't know if we've we've met them that often in the cup. I'm I'm guessing, Phil, you've you've looked into this bit mm-hmm. and now you were coming on the show. Yeah, well <laughs> tell, that, tell that's us right. more. So, Albion versus Albion isn't a yeah, a very common uh, matchup in uh, in the FA Cup at all. Um, in fact, that game back in 2019 between West Brom and Brighton was the first time ever two Albions had met in the proper rounds of the competition. So oh, really? that's how rare it is. Although there have been, prior to that, some uh, Albions meeting in the qualifying rounds. And, yes. uh, but not too many either. So um, I think that game between West Brom and Brighton was only the sixth time uh, that two Albions had competed in, in an FA Cup game. 
And if you think about it, there's, a, there's around 73,000 matches. So you can see how, mm. how rare. Although not a lot of Albion's. So there's only, what, Burton in the league now. And Witten. For a long time. Witten Albion is high up. But I'll tell you the names of the guys who played each other, but some of them may or may not exist anymore. I'm not sure. But uh, back in 1924-25, Thornley Albion beat Wingate Albion 1-0 in the uh, preliminary round. So they're a couple of northeastern teams and it seems quite a common uh, suffix in the northeast because the other ones involve Crawcrook Albion who played a Newcastle-based team called St. Peter's Albion a year later. Uh, and then Bizarre Wingate and Thornley replayed. Uh, this time Thornley winning 3-1. And then the only other Albions that I've ever met is uh, involves Burton Albion against Shepshed Albion in 1991-92. Are they the ones who are now Shepshed Dynamos, or are they? Uh... Yeah, they, they, they. Um, I think they were connected to Shepshed Charterhouse. Um, I mm. think Shepshed Dynamo is a different team. I'm not 100 percent sure, but I think that's the case. And then in in 2011-12 was the most recent one prior to that, which saw Osset Albion lose six 0 at home to Witten Albion in the uh, preliminary round. So that that's your history of Albion versus Albion in the FA Cup. If I know it was such a rarity, I might have gone. Say again. <laughs> I might go this weekend, I mean, now I know it's such a rarity. Yeah, it is a rarity. In the FA Cup, it's definitely a rarity. And funny enough, you've only played West Brom in the FA Cup when you've been in different divisions. So last time you mm. were in a championship, and it's the same mm. again this year. Yeah. yeah we, keep, we keep missing each other, actually, through the years in the league. We haven't yeah. played each other yeah. that often. Head-to-head, I think we've only got about 25 yeah. games between us. I think it was about five or six years when they exactly mirrored us, but from a division above or something, didn't they? They kept going up the same time as us from a division above, and they down from a division above so we never actually played them even though we were like both right. and down from through the championship at the same seven sort of time mm. and they stayed up the same season we stayed up in what's now the championship and then went down so <laughs> well indeed yeah I mean and one other Albion that I can think of was Plymouth Albion but that's rugby isn't it um, yeah, yeah. which is which I think <laughs> I'm not into rugby but I think that's the only other Albion I can think of Albion Rovers we're getting Scottish about it <laughs> yeah, obviously. Sterling Albion. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I meant in England. So anyway, anyway. Um, so yeah, Phil, last time we spoke to you, it was in the final qualifying round. It's qualifying round's the right word, or preliminary round. Qualifying, it, it, Well, it's both it, but the final one, the fourth qualifying round, is, is the sixth round of qualifying. So it's very confusing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing yeah. to think that by the time Brighton get into it this weekend, there will have then been as a result eight rounds of the cup at that point. Uh, it, no, there's been, there's been a... Uh, yeah, eight, six. Six, six, seven, eight. Yeah, eight. eight yeah, rounds. There were six in the, yeah, the four front qualifying and two more. That's... Yeah. Yeah. It shows you the, <laughs> the scale. It shows you the scale of the competition. There's yeah. 727 clubs take part. And uh, we've only got, what, 32 left. So we've lost nearly 700 clubs already. Before. Yeah. Yeah. I know, 64 left, didn't it? 64 left. So. But yeah. the, the beauty of the cup, we spoke about it in the previous time you came on. Yeah, I love the early rounds. Just those kind of the, the the giants are the ones that will later become the giant killers potentially. Mm. You know the the League One and League Two clubs, and and you get all these colourful names, names that the average Joe who's following a league club won't actually get to hear of very often. And in the in the first rounds of this year's competition, we got Banbury United, who I mentioned earlier, um, who lost four 0 to Barrow, but they they got in. You know you don't see their name in the first round very often. And Yates Town as well, who actually lost. Rather more, even more heavily at home to um, Yeovil in an all non-league affair. Um, but there's some really colourful names come into the competition, and um, you know Bowers and Pitsy, of course, who are in 
Um, my, my hometown, Worthing's uh, division at the moment in the Ismian, but again, Bowers and Pitsy's not a name I can recall seeing in the first round, uh, often if at all. Uh, Kings Lynn as well, of course, who are more prominent as a non-league side, but they, they're not often in the first round either, yeah. um, or at least I don't think so. You might, you might um, well, be able to correct me on something. Well, predecessor were in a few times, um, but the, one, of, one of the, I think one of the travesties I think of the FA Cup is that every season only 32 non-league clubs out of the 660-odd that take part can actually make it to the first round, which is why you end up seeing names you've not seen before, because you don't see that many each season. Which is probably that. most of them are a lot of them are, are, are the National League, which yeah, is right. so a, lot, a lot of them are you know, anyway. Yeah, exactly. So they're, they're, about half of them, they're probably regular, you know, two, two every three seasons, they'd be in the first mm-hmm. round. So there'd be names you'd be familiar with. And then you'd get half a dozen or so that are come back every five or six years. And then you've just got those ones that make it for their one and only time. Um, and, and as Brighton fans, you might want to forget one of the teams that made it for the only time which was replicated this year but Sudbury Town you'll obviously have bad memories of um, but they they came back under a different guys uh, AFC Sudbury for the first time this season um, and that was obviously the Town and Athletic two teams combining together to make a, a new form of club um, so yeah it's taken them I don't know when was the Brighton game it was, it was the 96-7 season was it? it was the Hereford season wasn't it Right, so there you go. So 25 years or so have passed. I think we then lost to Hereford the next season, having stayed up at Hereford's expense. We then got them in the cup third, further, first round, typically. This is always they the got way. their revenge. Yeah, I think it was quite <laughs> a small revenge, though, to be honest, at the time. I think it probably wasn't. Uh... Mm, yeah, relatively speaking, definitely. I mean, that, that first round this year uh, kicked off with Sudbury's game, which unfortunately another side that got thrashed at home. So it hasn't worked out too well for some of these sides getting in for a rare treat in the uh, first round. But, I mean, one game that was particularly awful looking, I have to say, I must have been an absolute bore fest, was the Halifax Maidenhead game, <laughs> which, of course, finished a modest 7-4 to Halifax. Um, where, Phil, where does that sit in the rankings of high-scoring games? I think we touched on this last time, but in terms of overall and in terms of the first round in particular, maybe? I don't know if you've got any stats I on that. Did, I did make a record of it. I think it was like the 32nd time or some number like that, that there'd been a 7-4 scoreline in the FA Cup. Oh. So, yeah, it's not, I don't know if that's a lot or not, actually, yeah. for such a long time. you imagine most of those would be in probably the kind of early non-league rounds? Oh, yeah, def- definitely, yeah. It, it, yeah I, I can't remember the exact number of, that has occurred in the actual proper rounds, but it probably was over 100 years since it happened. Um, but, Although yeah. my, my local club, Barnet, in their first league game in the Football League, lost 7-4 at home to Crew. Yeah. Very rare. I don't know if I've ever heard of a 7-4 until this season other than that. But, yeah. well, but I mean, it, I can if think you go back far enough in the FA Cup, it, I mean, it doesn't even touch the top 150 biggest scores in the competition. It doesn't even come close. You still have to... Uh, What's the biggest uh, score in there? Uh, well, the biggest ever score, and it's quite famous, is 26-0. Um, oh. Preston North End played Hyde, quite appropriately named Hyde. I suppose they gave them good hiding. Um, that was in... <laughs> That was in 1887-88, and it's actually the catalyst to what led to the qualifying rounds being introduced. It did coincide with the Football League happening as well, but the actual qualifications came about because the FA were getting quite embarrassed by these large double-digit score lines, these mismatches that were happening. So they decided to introduce a, a way of um, streaming out the, the lesser teams and then in the better, lower-level teams take part in the actual competition itself. 
Yeah, and it was quite a high-scoring round, actually, the first round. Just looking at one other score um, that stood out for me was um, another team that's not that familiar in the first round, Stratford Town, yeah. and they were thrashed 5-1 at home by Shrewsbury. Yeah. They made the mistake, of course, of scoring the first goal. They yeah, stung yeah. the Tiger's tail. Yeah. Um, and um, unfortunately, you ran out completely second best in that one. But, um, you know, it's still it's still great to see these new names come in. And there was a really good game on TV, the St Albans City Forest Green yeah. game which I did catch, and they're a really good game, actually. Um, a, a decently supported club. I've actually been to their ground, and, and they've got a good, a, a good following, um, nice ground. And um, it's a good-sized city as well, isn't it, to, uh, for, for them to follow. Um, and we also, I mean, you mentioned uh, your old local team, Peter Barnett. Of course, um, they had Boreham Wood. Was that in that round? or was That, in the that was that round, round, yeah. Yeah, um, which was, a, again, there was a massive following there from... Um, the local derby, uh, yeah, yeah. Thought, um, would of course, they're, they're making it into the third round as well. So that's yeah. the second second year running. They're the only non-league side this season to have made it into the third round in the last two years. So that's quite mm. a feat. But they've never gone further. So it'll be. Is that, they'll say, yeah, because their first time in the third round last season wasn't that's it? Right, that's right, last season. Of course, they couldn't have any fans there. So it's a good thing they've repeated it well. They've got fans there this season. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Actually, yeah, yeah. That must and, have been a real gutsy um, thing about some of these teams who do who get to the first round, the third round once in like you know virtually never to do it last season must have been a real real kick in the teeth because like they aim obviously for the fans anyway but also in terms of missing out on on the on the crowds and you know being there for the games as well. Well, the famous one is obviously the Marine versus Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah, I mean it's uh, eight divisions different. You, it, it's a record gap in a competitive game in this country uh, between two teams. No fans allowed apart from those that could get into the back gardens of the, the houses that were <laughs> yes. alongside the ground. But as it turned out, it was it probably turned out better for Marine financially than it would have done if they'd have been able to get fans in. So the fans missed out, but the yeah. club made a fortune on their virtual ticket scheme, which sold 35,000 tickets. And uh, yeah. we've been going for, for even a day now, thanks for that. Yeah, uh, that was such a good scheme, wasn't it? It was brilliant. Yeah, it was a great idea to, to tap in and top them to their credit really help generate the, the, the interest and uh, drive people to support it, which is really good. Yeah. I wonder if that counts as a, because you get some um, pretendances rather than attendances announced at football matches. Does that therefore count as um, as their highest ever gate? Yeah, never, <laughs> never in the FA Cup, though. <laughs> never in the FA Cup, because you can't count season to get holders in the FA Cup. So uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, anytime you're on TV, you count all the millions that watch TV as your crowd, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> but they have a big they've now got a massive wall um, set up with a, the name of everybody who bought a ticket on the wall oh and, brilliant uh, it's a really good commemorative plaque that they've done and uh, you know it, it, it's momentous for a club like me in the third round to draw Tottenham and, and under normal circumstances and then to have all that happen was just fantastic for them yeah, yeah really it's good. quite often you can get to the you know to the third round if you're a non-league side and draw I don't know away to a league two team or something like that which is going to get you very little interest very little kind of like media coverage probably even on tv judging by this year's selections because they seem to have focused solely on the premier league games and the the, the all premier league ties which I find quite boring comparatively to be honest yeah there's only there's only one club in all the tv ties that have actually uh, earned their way into the third round and that's Swindon Town who are playing Man City so all the yeah. other players are involving all Premier League or top two divisions. And it's not very exciting for the competition. The, the TV companies are not highlighting the FA Cup. They're just using the FA Cup for an opportunity to show the big teams so they can, in their eyes, get a massive audience. But 
in reality, on an FA Cup game that's on terrestrial TV, people are tuning in because it's a cup game on the TV. Mm. If it playing out at Aston Villa or if it was Kidderminster versus Reading, the, the, the viewership would probably be about the same. Well, even overseas, though, I wonder if that's where they're trying to get the more market. Yeah, well, that's it. It's the overseas and the yeah. and, and the connectivity because they want that they want that story with um, the, the the personalities that they think are what help sell the programmes. So, yeah, it must be Reading didn't tick any of the boxes. Even though for me it's a tied around, but yeah, if I'm honest, I I will probably be less likely to watch the games that they've chosen. You know, the kind of the really kind of slightly dull ones that they've all Premier League ones and that sort of thing. Then yeah. to watch, you know, yeah, Kidderminster Reading or Chelsea Chester mm. or whatever, you know, anything like that. It's a much more interesting thing to watch two teams who would never normally play each other. Where you know, one team Boreham Wood Wimbledon as well is another, another decent one. You know, it's like Boreham would have done it in league. In the National League, Wimbledon are doing okay in League One, but not amazingly. It's like really a chance for Bournemouth to get to the fourth round for the first time in history, and yet they're not showing it. Oh, that's not what the TV wants to show. They're, they'll open their programme with all the uh, FA Cup magic, and they'll show Hereford United and all the other small teams that beating giant, giants, but then it comes to, and uh, now we show Main United Aston Villa. Mm. Doesn't quite mm. fit, does it, really? No, no. No. And it's well, typically know, disappointing. You might just pull off a shock and beat Villa. That could possibly happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's one of the most one-sided FA Cup meetings in the competition's history. I think yeah. there are 12 times and Manchester United have won 10 of them. And there's only about three other matchups that have a more one-sided split. So it doesn't bode well for an exciting game. There was one exciting game back about 20, 20 years ago, I think everyone, um, about 2005 or something, everyone sort of talks about it. Fantastic. Villa tune up. May not one three two, but on the whole, it's it's going to be two B teams, in particular with the issues that are happening with COVID right now. Who knows how many first team players will get to take part? Um, so it won't be the game that it suggests it might be on paper. Yeah, yeah. Whereas like teams like Boreham Wood and Wimbledon will play their probably their their strongest team and have to give it a real go. And yeah. yeah, well that's it exactly. It's it's like that as well. And I'm I'm particularly disappointed with BBC and, and, and channels like that versus the commercial ones, where at least you can see they've got a get the audience for advertising purposes. For the BBC, it can showcase other things. And, you know, mm. they love a good narrative. The sports personality of the yeah. year stuff's all about mm. all those stories, those people that have done great achievements. Um, you can look at things like Wimbledon, and they love having a qualifier and showing that game live yeah. um, on, on TV. And when it comes to the football, well, they used to, or it seems like they used to do that, and they don't seem that interested no. anymore. It, Not since, as much, since, anyway. they, since I've been doing FA Cup Fat File, I've, I've written to the BBC every year about complaining about their choice of third round matches. Yeah. Um, each year I get the same kind of response. Basically, we don't care what you think. We're showing what we're showing. I mean, that's, I could not in those words, I assume. But... <laughs> not in those words, but I can show you the letters of what they've said back to me that that, that uh, they're not too concerned about someone like me having, a, having an issue with it. And um, so it's just going to continue on. They're, they're doing exactly what ITV are doing. They just want to have the chance to show these teams and they're fearful you see if they don't show Manchester United in the third round and they lost then they don't show them at all and there's a there's an issue for them going forward that they can't show the, that they've done that so uh, they have to get them early and uh, and then and hope you know and, and, and use that to uh, hopefully in their eyes get a big audience but as I said I, I don't think the audience in the third round would be any different regardless of who they show, who they show. And, right. uh, so it's just an internal or an overseas issue uh, more than anything else. 
Yeah, such a shame, but there it is. In terms of the um, the first round and also the second round, did you get to a game and uh, where did you go, if so? Yeah, where'd that go? Oh, first round, yes. I went to Hayes and Yedding United. They, uh, I think it played Sutton United. It wasn't the greatest of games. It was a freezing cold day. Um, Sutton won by 1-0 in, in, yeah, in probably the only chance of the match. Uh, it's a shame for Hayes because that, that was a record uh, appearance in the first round for Hayes. The three times they'd done it on the each year coming from below step six in the, in the uh, pyramid. Um, mm. So I went to that game, but I didn't get to a second round game because uh, the games I was going to got moved for TV reasons and I couldn't fit them in with what my own plans were. So I'll be going to the Kidderminster game against Reading this Saturday to, to make up for missing that last round. Okay, brilliant. Hayes and Yedding, are they the um, National League South? Am I right no, saying that? No, they're in the Isthmian Premier League, I think. Oh, it's been prime. Okay. One of those two. Yeah, they're, they're in the yeah. step seven. So basically, they should have gone up the last two seasons, but because of the COVID ravaged seasons not finishing completely, they've been kept back. Oh, I see. Yeah. I think you know, they should go up this year. I haven't looked lately, but at the time of the first round, they were very much leading that division. Yeah. The second round, um, we'll just have a look through there. Um, there's a couple of. Uh, we, high was it not the one worth mentioning replay wise in the first round? That was the Stockport Bolton game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 It was crazy, wasn't it? That was a... Fantastic. That was fantastic the, uh, fantastic I... game for Stockport, obviously, but coming back from losing two early goals and the game itself was, was the perfect FA Cup game, wasn't it? It was, uh, you know, still David versus Goliath, and but played in a, in a manner where they were going for it. And, yeah. you know, Stockport got their just, just rewards and it was a fantastic day that everyone, and that's what everyone remembers from what the FA Cup games are. You won't remember last season's third round choices that were shown live on TV because they just were, were unlikely to be good games. Um, Stockport scoring five is only is probably the third highest number of goals scored by a non-league side against a league team. So seven is the most and a few teams have scored six, but five is the third highest. Yeah, that is, that's some feat. I know they're a very ambitious club. They're right back on the bounce now from at the time they, since they slipped out of the league and they had a huge crowd there, a very vociferous crowd as well. And it's a bit of a derby, of course, uh, on top yeah. of all that. Um, but nonetheless, that is a hell of an achievement, scoring five goals. When all said and done, you're still working with a certain level of talented player at that point in time. And that that's yeah. a brilliant result. Yeah, absolutely superb. Yeah, it's quite an um, investment um, there. They've now got um, Dave Chandler as their boss, who he had the formerly of the long throw. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, oh, yeah. He's good, isn't he? I stopped um, Simon Rust, formerly about Brighton, that one in like early in the Indeed. season. Indeed, Stockport, of course, formerly. Um, uh, sorry, uh, in the, the second round, lost to Rotherham one 0 which is a bit of a shame. A bit, a very tough away fixture um, as reward. Hardest of the lot you've got, isn't it? I mean, Rotherham top yeah. one, so hardest game yeah. you've got in that round. Bit of a shame for them not to have got. I mean, I probably would have rather Sunderland or something away, wouldn't they, to get a bigger crowd in and whatever else. But um, Rotherham's a great club and, and they're into the third round. Um, anything else that stood out for you so far in this competition, either from the first or second round, Bill? I mean, well, looking I think, through, there was some good good results. Wimbledon 4, Cheltenham 3 is quite a good, good, good scoreline as well. The thing that stands out for me is Yeovil Town this year. They've, uh, they've set a new FA Cup record in each of the three games that they've been involved in this season. So when they won their fourth qualifying round tie, they qualified for the first round as a non-league team for the 52nd time, which is a record for a non-league club to have done that. Then when they faced yeah. Yate Town 
in the uh, first round. That was the first occasion that two clubs, beginning with the letter Y, had ever met in the FA Cup. So you thought <laughs> the Albion right. number was low. That was even lower. <laughs> and then they faced Stevenage in the second round and they won that game. And that was the 21st Football League club they had defeated in the FA Cup as a non-league side. And that's, that's also a record uh, number of clubs to have knocked out from being and a non-league club. And they've got a good draw in the third round. And, and be afraid, yeah. Cherries, because they've got, they they've got because, a home uh, game with Bournemouth. Yeah, Bournemouth won't fancy that, because you're saying, yeah. you've only got a really hit history, you know, very good record of uh, FA Cup upsets. And, yeah. Yeah. and, and of course, because they're pushing for promotion and West Brom have started to get their tails up, they're going to probably be a bit nervous about playing too many of their first-teamers. But then they're going to be nervous about this fixture as well. It's yeah. a bit of a quandary, isn't it? Yeah, well, and I've, I have actually seen you over in the Cup. They, lost, they beat Barnet 5-1. Some in the days where I was like ground topping a bit, and Barnet got a bit stuffed there. But but this this time against Bournemouth, of those 21 clubs that Yeovil have beaten as a league team when they were non league, Bournemouth have twice been put to the sword. So this could be a third time that Bournemouth could end up losing to Yeovil as a a non league side. And uh, quite quite interesting for Yeovil, they've they've not made the fourth round as a non league side since that year in 1949 when they. Uh, beat Sunderland as, in what I think is one of the, the biggest, if not the biggest, giant killing in FA Cup history. So, yeah. you know, Yeovil Town is, is synonymous with giant killing and with the FA Cup. Yeah, so there's an upside to them dropping back out of the league, isn't there? From their <laughs> point of view, they're able to <laughs> increase their record. Yeah. <laughs> I think they'd rather the other way around. <laughs> I think so, I think so too. But, now that, I mean, that's brilliant. There's been some great crowds. And um, speaking of Big crowds, and, and actually, um, that's that's quite a local derby, of course, as well. To not exactly local, local, yeah, but it's a yeah. same neck of the woods. But one other, one other game we mentioned, Borehamwood and Barnet, but of course, Borehamwood beats St Albans City in the second round, four 0 and that's a, a very local game as well, possibly even more local than Barnet. It's about the same sort of distance, yeah, yeah, virtually. Yeah. Um, St Albans took, I think, they sold something like nine hundred and fifty tickets within about five minutes, and then they sold the rest of the additional allocation they're given. So they took about twelve. Thirteen hundred or something to Boreham Wood. Um, I suspect they could have taken a lot more by the sounds of it if they'd had, had the uh, uh, the space for it. Um, that was brilliant as well. I, even though the game ended up four 0 and it was it was a bit one sided from midway through the half, but um, first half. But it was still it was great to see so many away fans just enjoying themselves uh, at a game. Even though that's a non league all non league affair, it's still um, it's, it's good stuff. Do like that. Um, what else, in terms, Phil? In terms of other little bits of trivia, if you've got any, feel free to throw them in. Any other highlights so far from this year and um, from this this year's competition? I did do a review of the second round. I've just got to try and find my uh, review piece of the paper. So I'm not sure I've got them to hand. If I'm being honest, I'm um, going to throw in Barrow beat Ipswich in a replay while we, while you're looking at that. That's quite a good result, too, isn't it? Yeah, well, it was the, um, well, that was that was an interesting thing because Barrow and Ipswich was the only replay, and it mm. was the uh, first time ever that we've only ever had one replay in the second round of the FA Cup. Oh. Funny enough, last season where there were no replays, only one of the games would have required a replay. So that was bizarre too. But this year when they did have them, yeah, so Barrow done very well to be Ipswich. Ipswich don't have a great FA Cup record. I don't think they've won two FA Cup games in the same season for 20 odd years. So wow. it's not a fantastic competition for Ipswich at all in recent times. I know, especially for so the last few seasons, they've been in the, like the lower tier, so they've been playing teams below them most of the yeah. time. 
Yeah, so they've been uh, starting in the first last four, five, four seasons or so. Yeah, but uh, that, that, yeah, so not. I mean, as a Leeds United fan, um, I know I know what it's like to follow a team that doesn't really do very well in the cup. In yeah, our, our League Cup record, our FA Cup slightly better, but our League Cup record is dreadful. Yeah, years didn't really get past the second round or whatever. And mm-hmm. yeah. last couple of years have been okay, but apart from that, yeah, yeah terrible. Yeah, um, and yeah, so, yeah, I mean that, that's great. Well, it's good for Barrow as well because Barrow. Um, they don't make well. They, they don't have a great record in the FA Cup, given they were a former league team for for forty odd years. But they've never been beyond the third round, um, and this year is their thirteenth attempt to make the fourth round, and that is a record for the competition as well. So no club has ever had as many appearances in the third round without making. But they got. Sorry, I'm just looking at well, it now. Have uh, they got Barrow? They got Barnsley. So. Home oh, or away. Ooh, Barnsley. That's doable. It's doable. Yeah, Barnsley yeah. aren't having a great season. No, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so it is doable. Um, from memory, they might, they might have played one time before. Um, yeah, I think they did. They played um, uh, 50 odd years ago. Um, Barnsley won quite easily, but uh, obviously had no bearing on today's game. But still, it's interesting to see when they've met before who won. But yeah, for Barrow. I mean, it would be amazing for them to get to the fourth round after so many efforts. So lucky 13, it could be. That could be the headline for them. I mean, last season, Brentford won in the playoffs finally after about a similar sort of attempts to actually win the playoffs. So maybe that's the, it's the, the, the year of, or like you're in a bit of uh, that sort of thing happening. Yeah, well, this is the beauty of what I like about the FA Cup is that every year you'll get a story like this where you can oh. spot someone achieving something that they've never done before and they've had so many attempts to do it. And, and that's the kind of thing that I love to watch out for. Um, so, you know, I'm almost a Barrow fan on Saturday to, to hope that they do achieve it. Who, who's, who's second in that list? Because they'll be like cheering on Barnsley, presumably. Yeah, I, 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 I can look. <laughs> I can tell you <laughs> off the top of my head. But yeah, there, there's other, there is another team that's about eight or nine and not yet gone through. But I think, right, yeah, um, I know Slough. No, Slough Town is second now, so that's why I'm getting confused. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's, not a, it's not common to have that many appearances and not get through to the fourth round yeah well in in this year's third round I mean there's a few interesting fixtures there like Mansfield Millsborough it's quite a good match up there um you've mentioned I think um Boreham Wood against Wimbledon um of course there's two of our favorite South London clubs are coming up against each other and um, what a shame one of those is definitely out oh dear and Mill, Millwall the home Both side against, blues. Uh, <laughs> it could happen. They could both have COVID and neither can play in yeah. <laughs> Could happen. It could happen. I mean, definitely Kidderminster Reading looks the tide around for me as well, flicking through this, I have to say. Um, obviously, there's there's a number of teams that might pull off an upset away from home. Cambridge away to Newcastle would probably be a popular one this year, wouldn't it, if, if well, they managed to pull that off? Well, it, it would be a great win. But I mean, that, that game is, is practically sold out, um, both home and away. I've, I've just seen that as a great game to go to. I think from Newcastle's point of view, Oh, right. Because it, uh, it, yeah. it, it, it's an FA Cup season, tickets don't apply, then people have got to buy tickets. So it does open up a chance for clubs, for fans to to go who wouldn't normally go, but also maybe to take members of their family who wouldn't normally get a chance to go and see. And obviously for Cambridge, it's a massive opportunity to to beat the richest club in the world. Uh, at, at the well, well, the last time they had that, in, uh, when Man City got all their money, the, the richest team in the world came up against Brighton in the League Cup and lost. <laughs> there you go. So, on penalties a little bit of history could be repeating of sorts yeah. and that was the League Cup and we've already told yeah. you what our record's like in that 
terrible stuff normally. Yeah, mm. no, that, that looks good. I mean, there's also Port Vale Brentford could be a good one. Um, and then I guess just in case it should happen, Chesterfield away at Chelsea. Imagine yeah. if they won that. Of well, course, that Chesterfield. The, uh, that, that for me is the long awaited 1997 FA Cup final. Uh, yes. Oh, yeah. It has to be said, Chelsea have barely got anyone who's fit, so, you know. Yeah, they've, only, they've only got 91 players in this. Yeah, really they'll hard. probably be relying on players who cost a mere £70 million as a result of their COVID issues. So, you know, I think Chesterfield might be favourites for that, to be honest. No, it, it, it's a, it's a it, uh, joking aside, it's a little bit of a travesty that the club, all the clubs with the most amount of players are the ones that are unable to fulfil fixtures, which is just hmm. wrong. But yeah, we, we've had both our games against United and Spurs cancelled this season. In between, mm. our game against Wolves to be cancelled, and it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the hypocrisy of the FA and the Premier League and all that is just well, the, the Premier League and the FA are two obviously two different. Uh, yeah, Premier League. Yeah. The, the FA uh, are only involved in the cup competition, but uh, it'd be interesting to see what happens this weekend. You know, we've just seen Liverpool have cancelled their game against Arsenal uh, in the Carabao Cup semi-final scheduled for Thursday, and they've cancelled their. FA Youth Cup game that was scheduled for Friday. So, you know, will they be able to right. clean that for Sunday? Uh, funny enough, you know, ironically, it was against Shrewsbury that they played their kids when they wanted to have a winter break um, a couple of seasons ago. And so it just seemed a bit odd this year that they're not following a similar path. You know? Yes, that is rather interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Um, well, you know... Different rules, I suppose. <laughs> Almost, you could say. Um, yeah, we, we mentioned Yeovil Bournemouth, of course, is one of the other games that could be interesting. And on the Sunday, I think um, there's... Uh, I'm trying to look, see if anything really stands out. Charlton Norwich technically is a chance of like, David and Goliath, but it doesn't really feel like it's <laughs> at the moment, does it? Well, the Charlton are like Ipswich. And it's they, the same... Oh, sorry. So it's Charlton are like Ipswich and they don't have a very good record and... This yeah. is the first season they've won two games in the in the competition for, for about fourteen years in the yeah. same season. So yeah. Norwich, I mean, it, it, they've got nothing else to play for, so they might as well go for it in the FA. Yeah. Uh, but where's the confidence? It can't be very high, can it? So you'd think yeah. that had a good chance of being an upset. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when you play a team who are you know you can cause a shock against, but you've played them quite a few times over the years, like Charlton Norwich or. Even like Port Bell Brentford would have met quite a few times in relatively recent times. It doesn't feel like a kind of West Brom us doesn't feel like a shock if we lose to these. It feels like just you know the team, you know, kind of it just you don't, I wouldn't. I'm sure they'll make a big thing about it, but it wouldn't be a shock to me if West Brom won because um, they're like near the top of the championship and we're well, we're mid table, we're doing okay in the Premier League. It's you know it still doesn't wouldn't be a surprise. Oh, I would always say that a, a team playing another just one above them at home have as much chance of winning. As the visitors do, I think that's a, that home yeah. advantage is the leveler between the divisions. Mm. So yeah, it, and with it only being one game as well, it could go to penalties. And once it's a penalty, yeah. any, anyone's game, isn't it? Yeah, give, that, that gives more chance for shock in my view because normally if the, if the so-called bigger team get a draw, the chances are they'll win the replay. Whereas unless they really play their absolute reserves in the replay, and quite bothers. Whereas if it goes to extra time, and although they might tire a bit more the lower league team and penalty gets further down. They can hold on for half an hour more. Then penalties are much more of a of a lottery. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It'd be interesting to see how many games actually go to penalties. You know, all of last season when it was only um, one-off games, you, you didn't get that many penalty shootouts. Mm. Um, so, mm. I think keen, teams are quite keen to get the game done and dusted if they can in ninety minutes. 
Yeah. So the, so the system this year, just to clarify for anyone that doesn't know from here on in, is um, there's no replays from any of the rounds now. Is that right? Or is there right. one so no replays uh, from the third round onwards now? There were originally going to be third and fourth round. Quite yeah. ironic because tomorrow is Thursday. It's the 150th anniversary of the first ever FA Cup replay. So right. it's uh, quite interesting that the, 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 the anniversary of 150 years, they decide to have no replays when. Uh, you know, <laughs> to celebrate. <laughs> yeah, they wanted to celebrate that replay fact from, from 150 years ago. I wonder if this might be the excuse for them to scrap replays anyway. It's been pushed for by a lot of the big Premier League clubs anyway. It's, it's one of my big bugbears. Um, I write blogs about this. Um, I have a quote in the blog that says, you know, if you think FA, uh, getting rid of FA Cup replays to help fix the congestion is the same as getting rid of your tonic, uh, your GNT to help your alcoholism. Um, so. <laughs> It, it, there's absolutely no no point, and it, it's you know, the real key. The, the real factor affecting fixture congestion is the European competitions that yeah, yeah. require well, they don't require it by law by their rules anymore. But the Premier League fall into line by not having games whenever there are Champions League week week uh, weekdays, and so that takes out twelve to thirteen weeks of the season when you could have had games. Whereas the FA Cup, the most even if you went on to win it and three replays, you'd only have four extra. Yeah. So it, it's, it is, a, I think it is a, an excuse to get rid of replays long-term. FA have said, no, they're bringing them back next year. But I think the, uh, the, the way it's going and the way the media support the, the big clubs, I can't see replays coming mm. back. Well, the good news is, of course, Infantino and Wenger are bringing in a, a World Cup every two years. That should help <laughs> ease the uh, strain, shouldn't it? <laughs> Yeah, the, the, Euro, the Euros are going to be every other two years, so that's it. There'll be tournaments every season from now on, and there'll be no time to play games. Uh, still uh, them. Yeah. Um, just a couple of other fixtures actually. Shrewsbury are away at Liverpool, where you mentioned Liverpool, and um, uh, Morecambe are away at Spurs, so another sort of minnow for Spurs to try and swipe away, so <laughs> well, to speak. We know Spurs are, are, yeah, often seem to get the smaller clubs. And they, in the book I've got, the FA Cup 150, but at the time of writing, they were the top scorers in the competition with 900 goals. Um, they've since been passed by Ketching Town, who have scored enough to get to 903 this season. Um, but Morecambe is a, a great opportunity for Tottenham to reclaim their goal-scoring crown. Mm. Um, Morecambe in the third round, they've never been beyond the third round before. But uh, they're... they're you know, they've not been noticed a lot, but they're on a, they're on a perpetual rise. A club's never been relegated, and yeah. the highest point they've ever been, in the furthest they've ever been in the FA Cup. So, who knows? It could just be part of their yeah. continuation of getting to great, great bunch of great bunch of fans as well. I've, I've met them and gone. I've gone to a couple of Morecambe games here and there, and a really good bunch as well. Actually, yeah, so I'm really pleased other, for their as a former program. Southport Sand Grounder resident. I'm not happy about the fact that Morecambe are too well because they would be seen <laughs> as one of our rivals from the back in the day. Um, oh, fair uh, enough, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, I, mean, I, love, I love the stories in the FA Cup regardless. I think, you know, maybe they can get something, um, get some facts passed over to Spurs and it might it might make Spurs able to do a Spursy thing and, and screw up that chance for that record. Once you tell them they've got a record to go for, they'll probably Spursy it. <laughs> yeah, no comment. <laughs> 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 who knows? Who knows? But yeah, I mean that's the, that's the setup for the for the round. Obviously, as we said, West Brom Brighton is the one focus for us Albion fans, um, or both sets of Albion fans. Have you got a prediction for us, Phil? And how do you reckon that one's going to go? I know it's 
it's, it's a bit of a bit of a tall order to ask you to try and make any kind of rational I prediction. I don't do predictions normally, but I will say this with confidence that Albion will win. <laughs> Eventually, yeah. It might be it might be after penalties <laughs> or something, but <laughs> And on that note, I think um, that wraps it up nicely for the uh, for the FA Cup uh, focus for now. We'd love to get you back on uh, at some point, uh, maybe this season, if not in future seasons, um, to discuss further matters. And I'm, there's always some good trivia coming up. And it's always great to hear from you, Phil. It's really good. Um, just a quick word again. You did mention it briefly, but just to flag up the name of your book and how people can follow you on Twitter, etc. What are your details again? So I run a blog called at FA Cup Fat File, which you can find me on Twitter. And now I also have um, uh, a website, facupfatfile.co.uk. And that's where you can get hold of my uh, book to celebrate the 150th anniversary of the FA Cup. It's called FA Cup 150. So I've named it in a way that makes it easy for you to understand what it's all about. And if you go to the uh, shop page on the facupfatfile.co.uk, you can get access to it. And in fact, I am actually doing a January sale. So during January, and, and to commemorate the FA Cup happening in the third round, um, I'm doing free postage of the book uh, if you buy it from my website. Uh, so you'll get your postage refunded. So it's definitely worth doing that. If uh, you can't use PayPal, which is what the website requires, then you can also get a copy of FA Cup 150 from Amazon. Um, so just search for it on there and uh, normal prices will be uh, uh, adhered to on that site. So... Excellent. But you would prefer if you can go through your website, if possible. Yeah, so yeah. give us that one once more as well. So it's <laughs> uk forward slash shop. And the book right. is called that, FA Cup 150. Yeah. And that does require PayPal, though. Um, so just uh, to warn you. So sign up to PayPal, people, and get, mm-hmm. on, get on that. I haven't actually got round, I have to confess, to buying the book yet, which I fully intend to do. But I, I'm, I might have to take advantage of the January sale now and, uh, <laughs> and get that free postage through your site now. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that's what it's there for, to encourage you to do it. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Phil, thank you very much for joining us. And we will speak to you again. In the meantime, Peter, stand or fall. Up the Albion. <laughs> Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.